You know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real-life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chasing Giants podcast brought to you by Osseo Gear with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Don, September is here. We're recording late on Sunday night because I've been out sitting on an alfalfa field until dark. So I apologize in advance for everybody staying up late, waiting for this to air. Uh, They're going to have to get used to it now that hunting season is over. I promise you we'll have it by Monday morning, but no no commitment on what time on Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, you've got to hunt. uh, Well, season's been open there in Kentucky for two days now, and I don't think you hunted the first day, but... uh... I was almost expecting you to call and say, hey, I got a buck down and uh, we're not going to have to postpone that recording for a day. Well, I'm telling you, the uh, I haven't been, as soon as I walked in the door, we started uh, planning and we did a, a good segment with Mark Luster, who's one of the Dream Team members to do the buck forecast segment and started recording that that we'll splice in later into the show. Uh, but I haven't been on social media. My guess is, is that there were some good bucks killed tonight. Um, if people were set up and had a place to hunt with a Southeast wind, the conditions I think were really good. And meaning by that, if you, um, if you watch the weather around Kentucky, we had really bad thunderstorms come through my part of the state last night and had, I think we got an inch, inch and a half of rain. Uh, last night through this morning and then it turned hot today so that alfalfa was just absolutely busting today and then we have another real serious thunderstorm coming through about midnight one o'clock in the morning so uh i think those all of those deer are up and we're feeding um a couple buddies of mine just texted me a little bit ago uh, but to put in perspective i think i saw 24 doe and fawns and seven bucks tonight um, and I could, I could just see alfalfa. I couldn't see the bean field, couldn't see anything else. I'm sure there were more deer out tonight. Uh, I actually got out of the uh, blind a little bit early because the bachelor group of bucks came out and I knew that they weren't going to close enough ground to get to me in time for daylight. And the shooter that I was looking for wasn't, wasn't out. So I slipped out probably about 10 minutes early tonight, but, uh, I want to first, before we talk about anything else, I want to first congratulate a few people. Our good buddy, Brandon Epperson, shot an awesome velvet buck opening day here in Kentucky. Brandon's been a good friend of ours for a a long time. Um, Great buck. I'm not sure if it's his biggest one yet, but great buck he shot it. Yeah, the buck was still in velvet. He shot it opening morning, didn't he? He ended his season real quick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, uh, basically, um, uh, a couple hours in the stand, he, uh, he talked to me about the spot and it was kind of one of those, he had a plan to actually get in there early 
and and uh, he he was still nervous about it. So I think they went in. I might be wrong, but I think he said they may have went in at 4 a.m. just to be safe and wow. and sat there and had a cameraman with him. So I think he I think he still films and helps with uh, Arrow Wild, our friend John Mulligan. But uh, yeah. I haven't seen the footage yet. I've seen the pictures of the buck. So uh, really excited for Brandon. Uh, another friend of ours, I don't think you've heard this one yet. Um, I'm looking real quick to make sure they've posted pictures. I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to uh, say something unless they've posted pictures yet. But our our mutual friend Danny York. Do you remember Danny Patrick Simpson's cousin? I do remember Danny. His yep. daughter Haley shot a giant uh, last night. She braved those thunderstorms uh, braver than me because I'm not getting out in those things. She shot a giant. Uh, had another youth hunter uh, kill a good one this morning. And one of our listeners, I'm not going to say anything because I just checked my phone. Uh, one of our listeners local that we've actually had his question on our podcast before uh, that lives really close to me shot one tonight. And everybody say a quick prayer for him there. Uh, they backed out and are waiting. Um, hopefully they get their hands on that deer, but it's another good one. So a friend of the Chasing Giants podcast shot one tonight. Hopefully, uh Hopefully I can share a picture of uh, a local buddy of ours that um, has submitted questions with another big velvet buck. So I, I think uh, this east wind has everybody a little screwed up. We're not used to east winds, and it switched just enough to the southeast where I could hunt tonight, or I'd be riding the pine two nights in a row. Yeah. Well, east wind is my favorite, so uh, um, they usually accompany a weather front like just happened for, with, with you guys. But anyway, congrats to all those guys that have, uh, and gals that have been successful so far. I've seen a few pictures on social media, uh, some really good bucks that were shot in the last two days. Well, I know, I know that listeners can appreciate where I'm coming from because, you know, I still have never as many early season bucks as I've shot. You know, most of my Kentucky bucks are shot in the month of September and I've never shot a velvet buck. I've never even had a had an attempt at a shooter in velvet. And it's still it's I'm not going to say I'm going to lower my standards to shoot a velvet buck, but I would like to do it one day. And uh, this weekend is pretty much my only shot because next weekend I'm going to be recording the next two episodes from downtown Chicago. I have to relocate from my job to downtown Chicago of all places and uh this was my only shot and you know that little voice in the side of your head that says you need to go with the wrong wind or you need to you need to push it i'm not going to say that one wasn't there and you know 10 years ago i probably would have gone and and still hunted but the discipline that i think is um is kind of set this part of my journey aside really just came from watching you and saying hey it's not right you're not going to deviate why educate that deer and never get a shot at it? Mm -hmm. Well, you could burn your farm out in one weekend doing things wrong. So uh, I think that's uh, what a lot of people do. I know that's what a lot of people do. So I think you made the right move. The the deer you're after will still be there when you get back. So, um, yeah, um, let's talk a little bit about fall food plots. Um, we've been, we've been shipping a ton of the new Southern blend 
uh, fall blend out. Uh, we only have a few bags of that left in the 2022 pilot program at Real World. A lot of our buddies from down in the uh, southeast, Joe Miles, Josh Anderson, um, a bunch of our buddies down through there. Um, uh, Freeman Miller, I think, got some. So all of you guys that are chasing Giants listeners, I've been getting uh, updates. They, they're putting this in. We still have plenty of time, even for the Midwest. Everybody's getting a little antsy, but still, still plenty of time. Yeah, and those Southern guys, they got another month or so. So uh, if you're down in the South and uh, you want to be part of that pilot program and see how this new blend does on your property, we still got a little bit, not a lot, but uh, as long as it's still on the website, we've still got some. So yesterday, um, I don't know if you got any additional planning done, but yesterday I was riding in the back of Patrick Simpson side by side with my extreme blower products blower blowing, uh, fall plot up in over top of his cornfield and believe it or not the two of us did something like that and neither one of us got hurt so i think that's a win-win even before getting an inch of rain the night after we did it wow that's saying something <laughs> I, I recall a guy jumping off a tractor and breaking his ankle or something or twisting his knee and having surgery <laughs> yeah blowing my knee out and blowing my back out so yeah. what about you did you get any fall plots done I got the last plots planted. I planted uh, your plots at the least midweek. And then uh, just, uh, when was it, yesterday, I got the last plot in at my house. So we would uh, um, had a sunflower patch out here behind the new house, and, and I mowed them down here a couple weeks ago. And then uh, our buddy Austin Razor came on Friday, and we trenched in a, a drain. There's a drain tile that runs through that plot that we had to tee into. So I, I didn't plant that plot till we got our work done. And um, so we did that on Friday and uh, then I planted that plot. So uh, we got a little bit of rain last night and, and today, uh, about a half an inch. So uh, it's th these fall plots are in fantastic shape here where I'm at. Plenty of moisture, regular rain, and uh, I'm glad to be done with it. Well, as a follow-up, I'm a little interested to hear about the pumpkins and the bag of uh, topsoil, or you did that. So our listeners that are faithful following, somebody asked not too long ago for an update. You you sprayed a residual, I believe, in one of your corner bean fields and were worried yeah. about planting pumpkins for the deer. So you took out a like a bag of potting soil and, and left it on top and planted it. How did that end up doing? Well, what I did was I, I had some semi loads of black dirt brought in from my That's new yard around yeah. my house. And I took some five gallon buckets of that black dirt and, and made some mounds to put the pumpkins in. And to be honest, Terry, the I planted those pumpkins in the NutriCrave corn patch. <laughs> and uh, I, I the, the corn got so big that uh, I, I just forgot about I mean, I didn't forget about them, but I haven't stomped through the corn to go check them out. So. I need to do that this week. I have no idea. I might have pumpkins, you know, the the size of a Volkswagen out there and, and that corn's hiding them, but I have no idea what's in there. Well, speaking of NutriCrave corn, I've I've done some corn testing for real world this year and we've gotten all kinds of feedback. And we've actually come on this podcast and said that the yield is probably going to be less. Uh, with NutriCrave corn, but I don't know if it just happens to be growing year or certain conditions. The feedback that we're getting right now has been the yield has been very impressive for this non-GMO corn. 
Yeah. And you know, uh, I'm seeing it on Facebook and I can't tell you how many of our customers have sent me pictures as well. Um, I even seen an Instagram hunter from Kansas post some pictures saying that, uh, actually he posted a video saying that it might be 200 inch or 200 bushel, <laughs> 200 bushel corn. <laughs> So, uh, that's a, that's, I, I hope he's listening right now and he's laughing because I guess somebody accused yeah. him of being an Instagram hunter. So, uh, Don yeah, and I were laughing about that, but he's got a new <laughs> nickname. Yeah. It's, it's funny that when you try to help people and educate you that, that the bashing comes from all different directions. So keep well, doing what you're doing. Knows what he's, this guy knows what he's doing when it comes to growing corn. It's what he does for a living. And, yeah. um, I'd mention his name, but I don't after I call him the Instagram hunter, I don't, I don't want people to, to catch on and have him get no. mad at us, but, uh, but he knows, he knows, he what knows he's doing. Yeah. He knows who he is. If he's listening right now, you keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like you said, friends will be friends and loyalty lasts a long way. So don't, don't change a thing. I think that, um, you add a lot of value. I think I made a post or a comment on your, uh, Instagram. You, you not only uh, educate on the farming side, but also on the whitetail side. So um, let's let's uh, let's pick your brain a little bit about a sensitive issue that comes out every t- every year about this time, and that's EHD. We all cringe, especially after 2012, when all of us got to really know this virus and what it does to the to the whitetail herd. Uh, we were dry in many areas for most of the summer. Some areas were really wet. Have you heard of any outbreaks or anything going on up in your area? You know, I, I've even been looking on social media and I hadn't heard much at all until yesterday. Uh, a friend of mine, only about uh, probably 15, 20 miles from me, um, texted me and, and asked if I'd heard any reports. And I said, no. Well, he ended up, he was out scouting on 60 acres of private ground and again not that far from me and and they found six dead deer um he said they'd all died in the last 10 days or so they were all intact you know they they weren't rotted away totally um he he figured they'd all died within the last week or 10 days but there were six of them on 60 acres uh the way he described it you know some of them were along the creek and such so it sounded like it was definitely ehd but that's the first report that i've heard and like you said, it's been where we're at, it's been wet all summer. Uh, June was kind of dry, but then the, right after the 4th of July, we started getting rain and it has not been dry at all since. Right. So, uh, I, you know, I hope that's the only report I hear. Yeah. Um, I have not heard any either. Uh, it's just, it, I don't know, Don, maybe I'm wrong, but you know, maybe I'm just watching more, but it sure seems like we have either, uh, 180 degree difference with people's weather not too far apart this year usually the midwest is all seems a little bit more consistent with the amount of rain or drought good grief one county over can be 180 degrees of 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 what the other one had with flash flooding to drought so uh we've been really lucky here in kentucky but um yeah comment down below if you've uh if you're watching on youtube and you've heard of ehd outbreaks uh comment down below where you're from and where you've heard about it. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, kind of sidebar as we navigate and continue to watch EHD as it relates to weather. And we still never circled back to what was in 2012 and that hurricane. I'm still curious about that um, 
if uh, if somebody knows when that hurricane uh, actually landed and when all that EHD outbreak started happening, I think that's going to be an interesting topic as we move forward in the show. So mm-hmm. um, I'm going to continue to hunt this week as much as I can. Uh, tomorrow's supposed to be a wind again out of the east with thunderstorms. So again, I need a little bit of that south southwest southeast wind in order to hunt. But we'll play it by ear as we go. What do you got cooking for this coming week? Well, I'm gonna shift some cameras. You know, I typically do that um, starting about uh, Labor Day weekend. Um, this year, I kind of held back because there's just so many people off work and. I seem to anymore draw so much attention <laughs> everything I do. If people see me out and about on a back road or country road, they, they just naturally assume that I've got something, I'm doing something with deer and I'm close to one of my hunting areas. So I kind of put that off till this week when everybody goes back to work, I'll be shifting cameras. But, you know, speaking of the trail cameras, Terry, I made a post on social media yesterday about these bucks shifting their range. Right. And, and I seen the most interesting thing that, probably in all my years of running trail cameras, I've never had anything like this happen. Um, I've got about 50 or so trail cameras out at the moment. And I only, of those, only six of those um, were cell cams. And so those six are sending pictures to my phone, you know, as as they take the pictures. Well, um, it would have been uh, yesterday morning, I got up and I started checking my, the pictures that were taken overnight that were on my phone. And I had five bucks out of six cameras. I had five bucks that were all at least three and a half years old. And, and they were all the first time that I'd gotten those bucks pictures. Were they hard horned? Uh, some of them were. Yeah. Um, uh, I think probably two of two of the five and three were still in velvet. But, uh, you know, these bucks had, had not been on those cameras all summer. And then boom, in one night, five bucks show up on new cameras. And, uh, I, I'm sure it's the, the, uh, fall shift, um, as those bachelor groups are breaking up and then bucks are moving, but I, I've never seen it, you know, like such a hard line where that many move at once. It's, it's usually a gradual shift that starts about the first of September and goes into mid October, but, um, it, it's definitely underway from what I have seen. And then I, I made that post and, and it was just amazing how many people commented after I made the post that they had seen the exact same thing in the exact same day. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting concept if and I don't know that we'll ever really know, you know, for sure what drives that, but um, you know, um I think I think the the takeaway for hunters that might be discouraged right now because they don't have a shooter yet in historically good properties uh, I think I think having a little bit of patience right now, because if you're keeping intrusion down on your property right now and you've done due diligence as far as your habitat, uh, stuff can show up as the shift happens. It's not the end of the world right now. And then, uh, you know, you always got late season, too. If something doesn't show up if, after the shift, if you have the food there, you're going to be drawing them late season. So uh, but I, I do think that it will be interesting to uh, to see uh, how much more of this you you find when you shift your cameras, whether those bucks have already gone or um, or uh, still continue to move through what the first second week of October? Yeah, and you know most of them move before October, but there's always a few that uh, 
uh, we, we see it here in, in Illinois, that first couple of weeks of October, you can have four or five bucks come by you at once that are still hanging together. Um, I've had it happen to me numerous times. So uh, some of the bachelor groups or individual bucks are just a little bit slower to break out of their group and take off for their fall range. Yeah, but it's interesting now you have to, you know, July 4th and then this weekend, holiday weekend has always been big trail camera weekends for you. You having to change your methodology just so people don't see you. Uh, I bet you're burning up that quiet cat bike <laughs> up and down the road so people can't see where you're at. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just a part of it that uh, yeah. I kind of brought it on myself, so I'm not complaining, but I, I, I'd go out of my way to keep a low profile anymore. And uh, still, somebody sees me, they, they pretty much know I'm after big deer. 365 days a year so if they see me on a back road they're just assuming that i'm pretty close to some place i'm hunting that's no different than me it's it's we laugh that you know i can't even talk specifics about the deer that i'm after in kentucky this year because he's got specific character and as soon as i say something about it you know the neighbors are gonna know and um you know they're not sharing their secret intel with me why do i want to share it with them so yeah um like I said, it's, um, you, you guys will see pictures of it when he's, uh, when he's, uh, got a uh, fake eyes in and we're, uh, getting Steve Shields to take good photography pictures of him. So, yep. Loose lips sink ships. <laughs> well, I'm really excited for people to get to, to listen to Mark Luster. We recorded this segment a little bit ago. Uh, before we started recording and Mark is a part of the new dream team consulting group that you put together out of Iowa. Uh, he's going to be traveling anywhere though, where I'm kind of limiting my, uh, circle of where I'm going to go. Mark will go just about anywhere. Uh, I'm, um, I, I really respect the fact that he's given his whole professional career as a, uh, law enforcement and military veteran, uh, to our country. So we want to thank him for that. But uh, most of all, he is a big buck killing machine. And uh, I, I started hearing the name of Mark Luster back years ago with Drury. Um, and uh, I know you've been friends with him for a long time. So for the people who are watching on YouTube right now, we were not able to capture this segment on video. So we're just going to show some pictures of Mark with his bucks in the past and have that up on the screen for the segment. And then we'll come back to the video, uh, when Don and I answer questions from our listeners. So stay tuned after a spot from our primary sponsor and friends at Osseo gear. Osseo gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations. Osseo gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function. Visit osseogear.com. That's A-S-I-O-Gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear, prepare to be invisible. All right, well, welcome to this uh, portion of the Chasing Giants podcast uh, where we're pre preparing for Don's buck forecast. And this is since this is episode 133 on September 4th, Don decided to bring on Dream Team member Mark Luster 
onto the podcast to uh, to talk about what his observations have been in early season scouting and trail camera running. So Mark's on the phone with us, but before we let Mark talk, I thought, Don, why don't you just jump in here um, and tee it up a little bit as far as Mark Luster, who he is to you and why he's a Dream Team member. Well, I've known Mark for probably 15 or 20 years, maybe longer than that. I don't know. don't even remember the first time I met him. That's how long I've known him. But uh, he's a guy like me that's just absolutely crazy about big deer. In fact, he's so crazy about big deer that uh, he left his home in Illinois and moved his family to Iowa um, just to pursue giants. And, um, you know, the thing about Mark, like everybody on the Dream Team, first of all, um, his integrity. Uh, if, if Mark tells me something, I know it's true. And I know that uh, when he goes out to meet with clients, he's not going to do anything to embarrass me. I mean, he's a first-class person, um, former military, which I deeply respect. Um, but his whitetail knowledge, I mean, I've said many times, posted it on social media even, that I think Mark is probably one of the top five whitetail hunters in the world today. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many booners he's killed, but I, I know he's killed uh, well, at least one over 200, but just countless booners. And, uh, you know, and the thing about it is he, he wasn't born with a silver spoon. So he doesn't even own his own hunting property. Um, he's went out and knocked on doors for permission and uh, basically did it the hard way. So I uh, got a lot of respect for him and uh, really happy to have him as part of the dream team. And uh, I think any client that, that hires him is going to be real happy with him. Well, Mark, welcome to the podcast. I guess to kick it off, what's it like to have a guy like Don Higgins talk to you about being one of the top five deer hunters in the country? Well, it's, it's funny you say that. I, I mean, Don has actually said that, like you said, many times over um, the last year or so or two even. Um, and it's pretty humbling coming from somebody like Don. He's uh, he's quite uh, respected and um, has has done very well for his, for himself. So, you know, having having those words of praise, if you will, coming from somebody like Don's pretty uh, pretty humbling. Well, I know you're no stranger to podcasts and different online medias, but uh, the Chasing Giants podcast is a little bit different. We have a lot of viewers that just listen on Apple Podcasts. We have a lot that watch on YouTube. And then we have a lot of our Amish and Mennonite friends that listen on call-in services. So for the people that's watching on YouTube right now, I'm going to just filter uh, and rotate some of Mark's big bucks up on uh, the screen that you're watching right now. So you'll be able to see that. But for the other people, I think we need to get a perspective just to get a little bit of a grasp about your style of hunting, the bucks you're looking for. Tee us up just a little bit about your hunting, and I, I hate it to make it a resume, but uh, talk a little bit about your journey in the whitetail woods and um, what you're after when you're looking for uh, whitetails and where you hunt them at. Okay. Wow. That's a lot to remember, but I'll, I'll try. I'll try to get through that. So, um, background-wise, um, you know, obviously out of high school, did a little college, and then I um, enlisted into the Marine Corps, um, first battalion, Ninth Marines uh, Infantry Unit. Um, did two tours overseas. Um, got back, and and I was stationed out at Camp Hill in California. Um, that being said. Um, 
taken away from the deer hunting side of things. I grew up deer hunting, um, you know, but it was, you know, we're talking about the eighties and so on. So kind of actually kind of an Illinois, just heyday of, of giant deer. Uh, although I, I never took any of those in the eighties. Um, but, and then in the early nineties, when I went to the Marine Corps, I pulled away from it and I, you know, I, you just, you don't know how much you miss something or how much it's in your DNA until it's removed from, you know, you're removed from sure. it. So when I, when I came back, um, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. And I was, you know, I, 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 every book, every magazine, every, everything I could read, absorb, I, you know, I was a sponge for it. Um, and, and then, and actually Don has a lot. I actually remember our very first conversation, um, about, uh, uh, my, mine and Don's very first conversation actually was, was me, um, sending him and I want to say it was an email that I got off of his book, but there was a particular deer he, and he might not even remember this. I don't know that we've covered this, but there was a particular deer that, uh, I killed, uh, while I was filming hunting with jury outdoors, uh, dozer, um, two years before I actually harvested him. I emailed Don and, and said, Hey, you know, you know, this is who I am. And, so on and so forth. So that was 2005, actually, Don. So that's how long it's been. So I guess that's 17, 17 or 18 years. Um, and I kind of just laid it out to Don and, and, and just, just goes to Don's character, but, um, he, he got right back to me and said, Hey, uh, you know, how are you doing? And, and kind of, you know, I, I gave him a brief synopsis about my dad's property or whatnot. And he's like, you know, I think you ought to, you know, try these things and, 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 you know, see how that takes you. And, 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 and a lot of his, um, advice was, was, was to, was to create a central sanctuary and, and bounce in. And I literally took that piece of advice and molded my own way and style of hunting around that, you know, um, and, and in the consulting things that I have, been doing so far uh, uh one little analogy that i do is is i just ask the person you know if you walk home if you come into your home and somebody's sitting in your living room on your couch are you gonna know it well obviously <laughs> you will that's your home you know you you, you know what you you know you know there's somebody's in your home and you, you you're gonna know it but if little mama had told you hey i need you to take the trash out tonight uh, because the trash comes, the trash truck comes tomorrow. Would you notice if somebody's hiding behind your back door? Well, you're probably not going to know that. And my clients, I try to tell them, you know, be that, be that person, be that guy that's hiding behind the back door. You don't have to get into his house. Leave him alone in his house because he's going to know you was there. You know, be the guy hiding behind the back door, and that's how we we mold our properties. Uh, you know, in in that kind of a mindset um of being invisible and just just i don't have to get him in his house he has to leave at times right. you know and, and and get those in those predictable tight pinches places that that you can predict that person or you know in, in our scenario dear to be what a great analogy of stuff that we talk about every week right don yeah <laughs> yeah you can see uh why I'm so excited to have Mark on board is uh, 
he thinks like we do and um his, his success didn't come because he had access to the best ground around his access or his success come because of his mindset and how he approaches the game and the other thing that uh, I really appreciate about Mark is that he's always chasing a giant. He goes where the giants are, and he, he may not be hunting the same piece of ground this year that he was last year because he, he goes where the biggest buck he can find is. And, and that's you, very similar to what I do. <laughs> you are so right, Dodge. So, I, yeah, and that's, and that's something that anybody can do. If, there's, if there is – Someone that most anybody in this country can relate to or how someone does something, um, much like you said, I, you know, I own 20 acres. That's, that's, you know, the, my spread <laughs> spreads 20 acres and that's just been in the last six, seven years, you know, that I've, that I've had it. But most of the time it's, it's knocking on doors, gaining permission or, or family ground, you know, my dad, you know, had. 320 acres or whatnot, but, um, you know, it's gaining permission or, or, you know, a lease or something, you know, I'm a, you know, I, I work for the, for the Illinois department of corrections, you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, from humble beginnings, if you will. Um, so, and it got to the point where a lot of times, and I'm certain all of you have probably dealt with this, you know, you go, you go knock on the doors and get permission on a property. And then you go whack a Bruin and Crockett deer off of there. People that originally were okay with you hunting there are no longer okay with you hunting there. Great, <laughs> great really point. Know. Great point. So, so then you turn around and and, and now you're fresh start out of that property again. again. You have to start over. So a lot of years I'm I'm having to hunt fresh on a new farm and, and learn something and. So then I just kind of, you know, took the lemons and made lemonade out of it. You know, my style of hunting, if you will, is, is, is uh, learning, you know, how a deer, especially a mature buck will use via aerial and topographical maps. And I've honed my skill, if you will, by being able to read them the best I can, you know, it's, it's not always a hundred percent. But you can, you know, I, I found that I can, can can at least get very close in where they're going to be when they leave their house, so to speak. You know, so, um, and I've got friends that are, have been very successful in, you know, harvesting their biggest deer every year during that, you know, quote unquote, October lull. And then others are later in November, you know, each person has their own way, so to speak. And I'm not saying that my way is the only way by any stretch of the imagination, but just by, uh, you know, what's that, what's that added that necessity breeds invention, so to speak, you know, I, I basically uh, have honed my way, um, how, how I have it. And that leads to me having my best success in that. Um, late October through first 10 days or eight days of November, kind of what I believe is to be the best time. And I say this a lot too, and it's the clients that to kill the deer, you know, you know, it's kind of before every deer's up and you could kill the deer, um, that your neighbor two miles away had, you know, that now they're stretching their legs and walking everywhere, but their testosterone levels are up high enough that they're that they just can't sit there 
all day long. You know, they got to go check that food plot or that field or whatnot before dark, or they get themselves caught up, you know, making scrapes and rubs and stuff on their way back to bed. And now all of a sudden they're 30 minutes after daylight rather than 30 minutes before daylight, you know, killing that deer you've been getting pictures of ever since, you know, this little fall shift, I think that we're actually seeing has taken place once, you know, like this time, through October, you start getting those deer once they once they went hard horn. That kind of bam. This is what I call. This is what I'm going to call home this fall. You know those pictures, those deer. Um, that late October to early November, right, right in there. Those deer are the ones that I've been the most successful in in harvesting. Well, but the thing the thing that I like and am honored to be part of this dream team is you if if anybody can say that this isn't a diverse group of guys that try to get it done that anybody anybody can do what we're doing and don and i say it on on the you know neither none of us that i know of are setting on a thousand acres that we can manage you know it's all small properties permission properties wherever we can try to get it and boy we've never talked about that on this podcast before but I think it's happened to all of us. The first time you get a permission property and you kill a stud on it, guess what? That's the last year you're able to hunt it. <laughs> oh, hey, I'm not joking. Um, oh, my goodness. It's like, literally. it's like starting over all over again after you kill a good one. Well, I want to I shift gears here just for a little bit and, and tell you about when I first heard the name Mark Luster. And you mentioned it earlier, and that's the, the story of Dozer. Um, I, I remember um, that episode of Drury Outdoors and, and that story. Uh, what what did that buck, uh, just in perspective for people who don't know, and I'm going to probably misstate this, but I, I think he was like 209, 210, something like that. Is that a correct statement? No, the dozer buck was like 180 and 3.8, I believe uh, is what oh, I'm he getting was. I'm confused. We'll have to um, edit that. Now Zeus, Zeus Zeus was the was two oh nine. Okay. I knew there was a two oh nine in there somewhere. So yeah, um, Zeus, that, that was two years ago. Okay, so that was two years ago, but Dozer was the one on jury, right? Yes. Was, was Dozer yep. on Dozer juries? was on jury. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, he was the yeah, and don't get me wrong, he still to this day. It's the biggest framed deer okay. I've ever killed. Well Dozer's I mean, the one that I remember. What did that buck in your career of chasing whitetails, what did that do for you? Not from a career standpoint, but from a passion standpoint. You know, this is all of a sudden a targeted buck that you, I think you'd chase this deer for multiple years, manipulated property, yep. manipulated strategy. From just a journey standpoint, forget forget every household in North America that watched the Outdoor Channel now knows Mark Luster. What did it do for you from a passion standpoint? Oh, it, it might as well have been lava. I mean, it started to fire. I, I mean, because I, I, and, and anybody that, that has hunted a deer year after year can relate. Like even in the, what they call the hero uh, part of that video, you know, I talk about it. I, I, I knew that deer more years than I'd known my five-year-old son. You know, I'd known that deer for six years. Um, you know, I, I mean, I had had, had 
<laughs> there's more sleepless nights about that. That one deer taught me more lessons than anything. And, and literally, I, I mean, quite literally, that deer um, forged my, well, Don and my friendship because I, it wore me out. That deer wore me out to the point of where I literally sent an email to a guy I'd never talked to in my life and said, hey, can you, know, can you help me? Just completely sucked you in. <laughs> yeah, I, this this deer is is beating me at every corner. I mean, I'm here playing checkers, and this boy's playing chess. You know, right. I just it just he he just wore me out. And 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 like I said, it, it, what's funny is is that that Don's advice, and and I actually I don't know that we've ever actually talked about this, but it's it it helped me in more ways than you possibly could could know because. I, I, at that point, I think I was just running rampant all over the farm, trying to just hang stands, trying to figure him out, and not knowing what I was doing that well. I thought prior to this deer that I kind of was getting the hang of things, but then he just, just beat me at every corner. And then Don's like, you know, hey, you know, step back, less is more, you know, and, and, and it, it, it made me start looking at things from a completely different perspective. And, and then when I finally harvested that deer, it's kind of funny, um, two days prior to that, my brother had sent me a text and said, hey, I see this giant wide deer out in the field there by dad's house. And then the day before, my dad did. And both of them said, hey, this deer is out there kind of harassing a doe with triplets. Now, we're talking about those two days was October 23rd and October 24th, so early, you know. And at this time, I knew Dozer was eight and a half years old, and I'd known that doe for several years, or at least I presumed that I did, just because she had triplets every year. So I'm like, I'm just going to go, I, you know, my thought process was, Hey, this buck has been on this farm for eight and a half years. That doe has been on this farm for nearly as much. And I'm thinking that he knows that she possibly is one of the first does to cycle in. He, he's known her practically his whole life. Right. So I thought, I thought, well, I'm going to go set up and try to, 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 to harvest her basically thinking that maybe lightning will strike three times in the same place, you know? I mean, maybe he is just checking her every night because he knows she's the one that pops in first. And, I mean, I, and that's the thing. And So I shot him on an October 25th, so, so pretty early um, in the year that way. And I, I, I shot him. We went, you know, we backed out for a minute got the four-wheeler stuff i thought i had, had made a pretty good shot on him we tracked him got him out did all the filming stuff had him in the back of the truck up at the house and it still wasn't done like i it was it was i think 445 or something like that that's the four time change that 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 i shot him like he was there early you know I, so I, it was it was one of those, I, I just, I just think that he knew that doe and he knew that she was one that cycles in early. And then Don might know this if he kept really, really good records, but, and I guess I've never asked him about this either, but when you did have a deer farm, Don did, were particular singular does, did they normally cycle 
around the same time, like earlier than others. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about that before on this podcast, that, that there were certain does that, well, you know, we talk about bucks, same time, same place, how they'll show up at the same place, you know, at the same time, season after season. Well, with, with some of those does, they're going to come into heat at, at like almost the same date, within 24 hours. And my theory is, you know, that what triggers that heat is the pineal gland in the corner of their eye that measures the daylight. And, and I don't know if different does have, you know, different sizes or shapes of pineal gland or what, but uh, whatever it is, you know, they register daylight and one doe may register a little bit different than another. And uh, with, without a doubt, some individual does will come into heat on the same day every year. I wish so, that we were go. all Thanks. smart enough to figure this out and plan it. But folks listening are just <laughs> sitting there saying, this is the Higgins kind of, this is another guy that aligns with the exact same stuff that Don talks about all the time. Lack of intrusion, you know, same time, same place. And and they didn't even talk about it ahead of time. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about how people can learn more about Mark Luster and contact you in a minute. But let's get to the to the thing at hand right now, Mark. How many states are you running, and what states are they that you are running trail cameras or have people observing or helping scout? Uh, because I know you're opening weekend in Kentucky right now. You're not too far away from me. I think you're probably an hour and a half from me right now. So where are you monitoring deer at right now for this year? Um, Kentucky, um, Illinois, and Iowa. Okay. Is, is, is my three current ones. Um my brother uh, does have some ground, um, at least in Nebraska. That he's gave me an invite, but I'm, we'll, we'll see how that goes. So I know I mean, uh, I, 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 we were talking a little bit before we came on air and started recording. You, you're, uh, you're a big car nut. Um, and for everybody out there, he races Fords. People, you got to realize he's a Ford guy. I'm just kidding. He's not a Ford guy. Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> It's like calling you a Democrat. <laughs> but, yes, um, it is. For, yes. for all those people yes. that don't know Mark, he's a big Chevy guy. He's going to be in Bowling Green, Kentucky uh, later in a, in a few days. But he came to Kentucky early to hunt opening weekend and a few extra days in Kentucky. And, you know, when you're coming on these quick trips and stuff, um, you know, there's a difference in looking for age structure and there's a difference in looking at size. So for the sake of this yep. podcast, um, you know, um, Don and I are focusing on the buck forecast as size of antlers. Um, I know that you're, you're, you're always tracking older deer, mature deer, but what are you seeing with your observations, whether it's driving around looking at bean fields, trail cameras, word of mouth, uh, what are you seeing as far as uh, size of bucks that, that you think um, have the potential to be harvested this year? Um, here in Kentucky, um, the, the farm I'm on, it's, it, it's permission. It's a hundred percent permission piece. Um, we're currently, uh, haven't got any pictures of anything above one fifties early one fifties, you know, one fifty one or two, um, that, that are, that are mature. Uh, there's one that's probably a mid fifties deer, but he's not mature enough. And again, I, I just, I just refuse to to forsake my morals for for um, the sake of a harvest, I guess. And that was the way it was when I was filming. You know, it's kind of funny that 
you know, a lot of people that, that I did talk to at the shows and so on and so forth were, were like, man, you, you, you pass up this, these, these great deer, but, but if they're not of age, then, then I, I just don't want to harvest them. If I let them go, um, they have a chance. If I shoot them, they have no chance. So, yep. um, I just, I just would, I would much rather shoot an eight year old 130 as a four year old, you know, 160. I, right. I just, I know that sounds silly to some people, but I, I just, age to me is king, especially in other states. Now at home, typically I just will not pick up my bow unless it's north of 170 and what I believe is five and a half years old. Um, and, and then I will, unless I'm, you know, trying to, uh, you know, do a, do a, a management buck that I'm trying to get out, um, or something on, on, and typically I'll do that on my, on my own personal ground, that 20 acres. Um, but that being said, um, so here I, I haven't got anything above one fifties. Now the landowner is claiming he's, he's seeing, he's seen a really big one a few times. So I'm hoping he shows up, but he has not uh, as of yet on camera, um, at home in Iowa, on the other hand, and then anybody that has followed me, I can't say this hundred percent, but almost a hundred percent. And anybody's followed me in 2018, there was a four year old, three, three or four year old that I passed. That was like, I thought was was one fifty or one fifty five. It was a it was a kind of a bigger nine point with double split brows and big wide framey sucker. Um, that being said, and, and he, he was walking in a foggy morning, I think it was like November second, and I passed him up at like five or six yards. That deer after that season, I passed him up several times that season, and then after that season, he kind of went on the viney on me, kind of disappeared, and. Um, I think he just showed back up. It looks exactly frame-wise like him, just the supersized version. Um, and I, he's got 16 points, I think is oh what it is. And, and I think he's a, a 210, maybe, um, something like that. But, but again, I, I, I must say that for the last few years, he's kind of disappeared on me. So um, we're going to see how things happen once the once the velvet comes off, and, and let's let's see if he stays. Uh, or I, I just have a feeling that he's been living on the neighbors okay. now, and I just haven't just haven't got much of him. And then we have another one that I've, we've got three years history of now at. Um, at three and a half, he's this. this he's actually eight point with uh, big brows, big brows. At three and a half, the brows are probably a foot long. Um, and he has a he, he had a fork on one side, and then last year, um, at four and a half, he was a ten with double forks, and the one fork was really deep. And um, he actually the, uh, the neighbor picked up that shed and that, that left brow was just like 15 and six eight I believe it was um, just the longest brow deer I've ever seen and then this year um, he showed up and he just blew up uh, he's he I believe that he will 
crawl. I, I would wait. I want to see better pictures, but I'm scared to throw. I'm scared to throw stupid numbers out there because it's hard to believe this. You know, when everybody's dream is to kill a 200 inch deer. You know, my dream, and I was lucky enough to to to, to do that. Um, but my dreams were never so big as it be 200 typical. You know. Right. I don't. I don't know. I think my my mind didn't go up to that level on the elevator. You know, um, I think this deer will do that. This this other one too. I, I really believe he's a two hundred typical with um, like a ten inch fork at his brow and a, a couple of, of what looks like inside time. So he's he's he rings up the the clock pretty high. Um, well, Don, so Don the- listening to this, I mean, there's a lot of people that tell you that they see giants or they see really big deer. When Mark Luster says that he sees a big, big deer, uh, it carries a little bit more weight, right? As you're, as you're hearing all the feedback around all the people that you're connected with, hearing Mark say this uh, means a little bit different with, uh, with your observations, right? Well, if he tells me it scores two ten, it probably scores two twenty. <laughs> uh, I mean, and, and the deer that uh, he's talking about, he shared a picture with me. Um, at least I think it's the same deer. At least the way he described yeah. it, and he's yeah. every bit that big. He, I mean, he just—he doesn't even look real. It looks like a cartoon character. That's how big his rack is. But uh, huge frame. But it, it, whatever Mark tells me, I mean, uh, I know it's at least that big. Well, and the purpose of this segment is is just to get other people's feedback outside of Don's. You know, Don's running cameras on Illinois and Ohio. I'm running on uh, Illinois and Kentucky. Wes is running on Indiana and Kentucky. You're running on Iowa, Illinois, Kentucky. So it's just another data point for those people that there are giants out there, that there are potentials out there. Um, so just another, like I said, just another data point that before Don makes his buck forecast, uh, for the year. Now, Mark, um, I, I know that, that this isn't the purpose of it, but being, uh, being named part of Don's dream team, you're going to be doing consulting. Uh, I think if people want to learn more about Mark Luster, uh, obviously, you know, just a simple Google search is, is, is always productive. I think you did a whitetail episode, whitetail cribs episodes with Exodus trail cameras where you gave a tour of all your deer and talked, obviously the juries, but, um, real quick, like, like for instance, I'm only traveling a, an hour or two away from my house doing just a very few how open are you to travel and how far will you go uh, if somebody wants to contact you for consulting? Honestly, uh, I have, I have yet to find a, a distance. I won't go. Okay. <laughs> so so I, I'll go pretty much anywhere. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to inhibit, I guess myself or, or anyone to, to uh, uh, you know, a local area. I, I, I will reach out. Not as far as um, far as anyone wants to go. All right. So if you want to learn more about Mark Luster coming to your property to help you set it up, you got to remember this guy's hunting permission property, small acreages. I know you've recently done seminars on how to hold, attract, and hunt bucks on small acreages. Um, so a lot of experience and knowledge on those. Um, so you can go to Higgins Outdoors webpage or Mark, I'll let you tee it up, uh, how people can ta- contact you if they're interested in, uh, in hiring you or talking to you about consulting, where do they get a hold of you at? 
Um, my phone is always, always, uh, on, um, uh, 217-320-1285. And, um, they can also get a hold of me via email. It's just, uh, Luster Mark. That's L-U-S-T-E-R-M-A-R-K, uh, 155 at gmail.com. All right, so uh, thanks for being on the podcast, Mark. You did great. I know you're no stranger to being in front of the camera or behind the mic on these things. Uh, we'll have to bring you back on maybe later in the year and spin off a little bit of Don's rut report and kind of see the movement and activity that you're seeing in the field in your different hunting spots for everybody to listen to. But, um, Don, do you got any closing comments before we let Mark go? Yeah, you know, I got a Mark Luster story that I think would be very interesting for our listeners. Oh, and Mark's, Mark's going to remember this. <laughs> a few years back, Mark and I were together. We went on a little trip. Um, we went up to Jim Tomey, the Hall of Fame baseball player. He's a big deer hunter. And Mark and I went to uh, to Jim's farm. At that time, I was doing a lot of habitat work, planting trees and such on habitat projects. And Oh, I... I think Mark made the introduction to me or to me and Jim yeah. Tomey. And, um, but anyway, on this trip, uh, Jim wasn't around. So, you know, Mark kind of took the ball and took me up, showed me his farm. But on the way back, we had this conversation <laughs> and I know Mark's going to remember it. He's probably laughing. Now. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> this is where I got a lot of respect for Mark because, uh, you know, being that he's been in the military and, uh, he's been a prison guard for many years and, uh, he's seen some of the worst uh, society has to offer, but uh, you know we was talking about uh, what a mess the world was becoming, and that was before it really fell apart here the last <laughs> few years. But <laughs> Mark shared the plan with me when it hits the fan. So how we <laughs> how we can rid society of a bunch of uh, um, I don't know what you want to call them vermin. <laughs> and uh, Mark shared this story with me or this plan. I mean. He's got a plan now, folks. He has absolutely got a plan. And I'm telling you, when it hits the fan, I want Mark on my side because he's going to he's gonna solve the world's problems. It was a foolproof plan, is I'm not going to go into details. We'll probably get to the FCC will probably kick us off the air. We'll definitely get, we'll definitely get bit, hit by the YouTube, uh, YouTube beliefs on that one. So. No, no doubt about it. Well, Mark can yeah, also yeah. Mark Mark can also outline that plan when he's there doing your consulting. How about that? So there you go. <laughs> yeah, you that details. That that well, here's the beauty about that plan. I won't get into details about it, but essentially, you all you won't actually have to hardly do anything but a little bit of uh, construction work. Yeah. Other 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 than that, it's over. <laughs> 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 you you let you let Berman do Berman do, and and it, the the problem will solve itself. That's just all I got. All right. Yeah. That, is, that, is, that a, is that a good enough synopsis, Dodd? You think that was it? that's perfect? That's that's absolutely perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for being on, Mark. Uh, contact Mark if you're interested, and we'll have him on. Uh, go out, and if you have access to YouTube or uh, um, any of the other social media platforms, follow Mark. Obviously, you can. all of his contact info is on the Higgins Outdoors website. But we'll move on to the listener-submitted questions of the, of the podcast starting right now. 
Well, Don, after listening to that segment with Mark Luster, it's almost like he's been to your master classes, read your books. You guys are you guys have kind of run parallel as acquaintances, but you know, Wes and I have pretty much you've been our mentor through the whole thing. So we've kind of learned firsthand. This guy's done it on his own and navigated right back into almost the same techniques and strategies that you live by. Yeah, well, you know, we talk, as we talked about on the interview with uh, Mark, um, he wasn't born with a silver spoon. He learned the hard way like I did. And, um, you know, anybody that, that takes that approach, um, you either figure it out or you don't. And, and there's certain things that, that uh, are, are not um, optional. You, there's certain things you've got to do. And uh, – Mark's figured that out and he, he drops giants on a regular basis. And I have no doubt he's going to drop a whole bunch more. But you know, the, the people that are doing these consulting jobs are representing the Higgins outdoors brand that you've worked your whole life to establish. So it's not just a fly by night idea on how we, how we, uh, you know, put a business plan together. You truly have tried to, uh, partner with people in this venture to get more resources to hunters and land managers, but yet maintain the integrity because every single one of these plans has your stamp of approval on it. So you're not willing to mm. just do that for anybody. Yeah. And you know, over the last two, two or three weeks, I've reached out to the, the clients that I had on my list, you know, to be able to visit and I just had way too many that I could handle. Uh, th this thing snowballed like I didn't see coming. And uh, the, the only option was to bring some more people on board. And I want everybody to, to recognize the fact that uh, these are, are folks that I know. I, I've known them for years. I trust them. And then, like you said, Terry, every plan that uh, you guys put together, I'm going to review it before the client ever sees it. And if I see anything that I've got questions about, I'm going to ask the consultant first and why did you do this? Or why did you do that? And then when I'm happy with it, the, the client will get a copy of it. But, uh, you know, I've had a couple people kind of upset that, uh, I, they were on my list and then I raised my price, but, uh, you know, I, I, I just hate upsetting anyone. Um, the only reason I'm in the position I am today is because of good people that believed in me, but folks, you know, I'm pushing 60 years old and I'm slowing down, uh, the master class that we're going to do this year. It very well may be the last time that we ever have a master class this, this coming spring. I've got to give some things up and I, I can't continue to go for four or five months in the winter and, and never be home. And, um, there, there's been projects here on my own property that have been, you know, kicked tossed to the side as I'm out to consulting for others, um, just time away from family. And, uh, you know, physically I'm just not in the shape that I was before COVID, you know, my lungs are just about beat. I can't hardly walk across flat ground without catching my breath. And a lot of these properties are in rougher terrain and, um, my apologies to anyone that's offended, but, uh, we're going to do the, the best that we can to get you the best plan possible for your property. And, you know, I mean, it's, you're, we're always going to take heat from different people. Just like, you know, we were laughing about our friend in Kansas that, that took heat about being an Instagram hunter. But 
Um, you know, the bottom line is, is, is the price was set there to minimize the number of people and people don't see that the projects that you're going to be taking on for the most part are much larger scale projects. You know, we talk about this, this project you're doing down in Mississippi, that's a multiple year project. And that's the stuff that you're going to be focusing on, uh, while we help be more of, I don't want to say site evaluators, but, we're going to be more of the 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 infantry out in the field trying to bring the Higgins plan to everybody. So I hope that makes sense. And I know people are going to be upset and there's nothing we can do, but um, our family faith and, uh, um, you know, beliefs in what we do has to have to still fall in line with with what we need to be as, as men and uh, husbands and fathers and grandfathers so we hope that everybody understands that we're trying to navigate that the best we can so uh that that covid thing's an interesting uh spin you know we had a good conference call with quiet cat this week and uh you know the the fact of you relying on that bike in not many people were talking about this but we're going to be sharing more about this story through the season you know uh to my knowledge i haven't had covid yet but you've had it now we think twice and you know your ability just to walk even long distances across you know softer ground or anything just isn't there so um it's an interesting spin that we're going to try to try to help tell the story of that later this year and using uh equipment like quiet cat just to navigate that yeah that quiet cat's become quite the tool for me uh if I've got a long walk, you know, even across an open ag field that's fairly flat, um, without that bike, I'd be taking, you know, several breaks just to stop and catch my breath. Uh, the quiet cat lets me get there a lot faster. Um, I'm not out of breath. I'm not working up a sweat and I, I not leaving ground scent. Even I just drive right to the base of my tree, lean that bike over, lay it in the weeds, whatever, and climb up and, uh, you know, it's allowed me to continue to hunt as hard as I, I was previously. And without it, I don't know that I could get to all the stands that, that I get to. Yeah. So anyway, just an interesting spin on the, the technology with those bikes and, um, and we'll, we'll have more on that. So let's move on that, that segment from Mark was a little longer than what we originally anticipated, but there's nothing in there. I really want to even cut out. So I think that was a good segment and people will get to know Mark um, a little bit better. Uh, we'll probably have him back on during the rut report segment of the year just to hear what he's seeing. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to the first question of the week and share that with my screen for you. Okay, the, the first question comes from Tim Hallinan from Howell, Michigan. It says, hello, Don and Terry. Great job on the podcast and keep fighting the good fight. After society continues to crumble, it may be fashionable to be men of faith again someday. Anyway, my question relates to hunting small properties, say 15 acres. Generally speaking, we want to approach our properties on the downwind side, so we blow our scent into our neighbors and never into ours, and never into bedding areas, etc. However, on that small of a property, we can't always get them to bed on us always and if we're going too far into our property we're inevitably blowing scent into the bedding on our neighbors and thus educating deer i've come to realize if i can only hunt one stand on one wind and never get busted 
but that's it. It's extremely hard to not hunt the iffy stands, which brings me to another question. If the deer are bedded 300 yards away and I have to blow my wind through them to get downwind of where they'll come past me in my food pots, is that far enough that I could skate by them without them busting me? I do practice religious scent control, and it appears to me that when I do this, deer sightings from that direction do fall substantially. Just having a hard time coming to grips with the fact that if I'm going to shoot anywhere near mature bucks, I might be limited to one wind and one, maybe two stands. Thanks. Well, Tim, <laughs> there's a reason that I picked your question. It's because I run into this situation a lot on consulting visits. Um, and I remember one particular visit in, on a Kentucky property last year um, where I just had the hardest time getting this client to accept the fact that his property did not lay out good for a couple of different wind directions. And uh, the, the, you entered that property from the west and there was just no good west wind stands on that farm. Which was um, probably the predominant wind. <laughs> exactly. And I, in my own hunting, I mean, in this question, you know, Tim's talking about a property of 15 acres. Well, absolutely. There may, I've got lots of properties bigger than 15 acres where I've got one stand or maybe two stands. I've got lots of properties where I got one stand on the, and I've got one wind direction I can hunt. But guess what? If I stay away and am disciplined, like Terry was talking about earlier, and I only hunt it when that wind is right, when the conditions are right, then my odds of success are way better than if I try to get a stand or four or five stands for every wind. It just doesn't work that way. And, and you just end up burning out your, your property. And Tim even said that, uh, you know, when he tries, even with his um, religious scent control um, that he references, he still sees a whole lot less deer when he's blowing his scent into the, the bedding area 300 yards away. Um, those deer can smell you a lot farther than 300 yards. I, I know for certain. Um, but, uh, you know, you just gotta, you gotta take, in some instances, you gotta take what the property gives you. Now, when we go consult on a property, we're going to do everything we can to come up with, um, you know, unique ways to get to stands. Um, you know, maybe create access trails on the perimeter of a property or something. But even with that, most properties, especially small properties, you're not going to be able to hunt every wind direction. Take what that property gives you and don't push it. Uh, when you push it is when you just burn out your property and then you're done. I think people get scared of small properties. And I think small properties, uh, you know, we, we just heard from our guest earlier, small properties are maybe the key to finding a giant. And I think there's another question that's coming up later that I don't want to spoil if we get to it, but people shy away from small properties, but you just have to, I think you, you have to utilize small properties for what they're made for. And that's a very specific situation. If a mature buck is there, it's not mm -hmm. something that we're going to be able to be able to burn up to take a bunch of kids hunting, to kill a bunch of does on. If that's what you want to do with that property, that's fine. But what you just said is, take what the the property will give you to me that means a little bit more than just the wind direction i mean it's total intrusion 
And uh, you can absolutely, as more people are hunting, um, the the kicker in all of this is you can rely on small properties to hold giants. Um, That six and a half year old buck that I killed two years ago in Kentucky, he was on 20 acres and I held him there um, because he was bedded there. I mean, I'm sure he left, but I was able to hunt him because he bedded there. But I could only hunt that deer with one wind. So it's it's just fewer times in there, uh, less intrusion, a less less activity. Uh, small properties can be phenomenal, but you just have to change your mentality around the small property. Yeah, well said, Terry. All right, well, let's move on to the second question of the night. Let me share this. If... Uh, I saw you getting awful close to the uh, to the camera there for a second, so I'll I'll try to blow it up as big as I can. I don't want everybody seeing your nose hairs. <laughs> well, I might scare them off if they see that. <laughs> uh, this question comes from Raymond Miller Jr. from Burton, our buddy Ohio. Raymond, Ray Miller. Boy, he's entertaining, isn't it? Isn't he? We get uh, texts from him on almost a daily basis. He had a question he about a king buck. He had a question about a yeah. king buck on his property this week, I think. Well, the king buck has been making lots of appearances on my text. Anyway, <laughs> everybody's got a king buck. But So Raymond says, hi, Don and Terry. I love the podcast and appreciate that you have made it available for us Amish to listen to by phone. I am also looking forward to working with both of you at the master class in Middlefield, Ohio at our place. My question is regarding a recent question about splitting up your food plot into 13 quarter acre plots to keep bucks from seeing into them versus one big plot. Wouldn't a mature buck looking for does take one pass on the downwind side anyway, no matter if that plot is one big plot or 13 small ones? Second question. I have heard and read about social pressure and how bucks don't socialize with does and does will fight does and blah, 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 and on and on and on. However, my brother Aiden and I's property that you consulted on and where the master course students will get to walk, we have a large eight acre food plot with corn, beans, clover, fruit trees, and deadly dozen. And we watch that plot fill with 30 plus deer feeding during all phases of the season. Those bucks and fawns coming from all directions and all mingled together. And we have yet to see any social pressure in that big plot in three years. However, we do have a few half-acre kill plots back in the cover where we have seen some social pressure among does if it was tight quarters. Why do you think we see this in small plots but not in our big plot? And by splitting up big food plots, are we just maybe creating social pressure? Also, the ones promoting this social stress idea are the same ones that are against large plots and summer food. Your thoughts on it all. Thank you both, and God bless Ray. Well, Ray brings up a great point. Um, you know, mature bucks use their nose way more than their eyes. And, uh, you know, they run the downwind edge of bedding cover. My favorite way to hunt them rutting bucks is just get on the downwind edge of bedding cover. And they'll do the same thing to with a food source. It's not like they stick their head out and look around and no does. There's a lot of things that I think get promoted um on the internet and such that you know they may sound good in in human terms but humans are are not deer and and deer use their nose the way we use our eyes um you know 
Ray talks about a bunch of deer coming into a big plot and there's no social pressure. That's because that plot's big enough. They can have some distance between um, themselves and different groups of deer. So uh, on my place, there's been many, many, many countless times where I've seen multiple mature bucks. And I'm not talking three-year-olds or four-year-olds. I'm talking five, six, seven-year-old bucks in a plot together at the same time even during November, during the rut, and they're fine with each other. They know the pecking order. It's like going into when you're young, you know, in your early 20s, mid 20s or whatever, and you go into the bar. Well, crap, you know who the toughest guy in the bar is. You don't go up and, you know, pull his chin hairs or anything. You leave him the heck alone. <laughs> and you go to the other side of the bar, do your thing. And it's, it's pretty much the same way with these deer. Um, you know, they know the pecking order. They know to leave that buck alone or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, we just, I, I see it all the time. It's that people come up with these ridiculous theories that, I mean, I've been in the woods for 45 plus years. And many of those years, you know, I, I took off the entire month of November from my job and hunted every single day. So I've got a lot of experience in the deer woods and I hear people talking about things that I have never, ever, ever seen. And the list is long. The doe factory is just one thing that doesn't make sense to me, but the, the list is long and people, I just wish they would take it. They would consider the source of the material that they're listening to. And here, here's another example. Just this weekend, I was reading a, uh, social media post from a guy and and he's actually a guy i respect but uh he was talking about killing early season bucks and he was saying don't listen to this forget about the october lull forget about the the advice to not hunt october mornings forget about this forget about that and i didn't want to disrespect the guy so i didn't say anything but i'm thinking to myself okay he's telling everybody to go hunt october mornings how many mature bucks has this guy killed on an october morning I, I bet you, you can probably count on one finger and probably don't even need one finger. Um, it's one thing to give advice and it's another thing totally to have the experience to back up that advice. And if this guy had went out and killed three or four really good mature bucks on October mornings, then he's got some credibility to, to back up his statement. But so much of the garbage that's on the internet is put out by people that have absolutely no backing to back up the point they're trying to make. A lot of it is just repeating something that somebody else has said. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. I fully believe when it comes to hunting mature bucks, more than half of the information on the internet is bad information, more than half. So you really got to, got to filter through it. And the best way to do that is consider the source where it's coming from. <laughs> I left you speechless, Terry. <laughs> I don't have anything to add with that. So uh, this week's biofarm segment, uh, Dom Bailey joined us, and he didn't actually even talk about a property a little bit, but uh, I think it's a perfect place, and we didn't plan this. Um, you know, uh, real estate is similar to land consulting in the food plot industry where people pop up and become an expert in it. And by no means do we ever want to tell people not to chase their dreams. But when you're trying to partner with a real estate agent, you want somebody that's been around rural properties for a long time and has that expertise. 
And Don just wanted to talk a little bit about that this week and what Biofarm is, how they got started. So we're going to play that bit just right now and be back with another question to end the podcast tonight. Well, hey, everyone, this is Terry Peer with the Chasing Giants podcast for the Biofarm.com property segment of the week. And I have Don Bailey on tonight, and we're going to do something a little bit different, and that's talk a little bit about Biofarm as an organization. Don, thanks for being on the podcast again. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So we talk about properties every week, but this week let's talk a little bit about the services that you guys provide and maybe some uh, things that people don't realize you bring to the table as they're shopping for a real estate partner. Yeah, Terry, we, we started by a farm uh, 16 years ago simply because there wasn't anybody that was really, really educated in real property. Uh, I, I shouldn't say anybody wasn't educated, but the most people that were dealing with it, they really would rather have dealt with homes and homes in town. So we started by a farmland and auction company basically just to deal with the real properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we have and will continue. Uh, we want to make a commission, of course. We want to get paid, of course. But more than that, we really do figure ourselves as a service business. And, you know, if someone's got a question, they're not ready to sell or they're not ready to buy or they're buying from someone else uh, and something doesn't make sense to them. Uh, we encourage them to call us and we'll, we'll give them our two cents uh, knowing that we're not going to get any revenue out of it, but it's not all about just getting paid for every deal. It's, it's, it's about the service. When we have a career, that's something that we really enjoy that we feel like, you know, we're adding value to something and it's our career and our livelihood and those things all align together. I think that's a pretty special thing versus just having a normal job that you hate going to every day. You know, and that to some people that haven't experienced it, that may sound cheesy, but that is truly the gospel. We get mad at me for teeing you up like this, but Don and I deal with this all the time in the food plot industry. And then Don deals with it obviously a lot in the consulting business but it seems like everybody's popping up with all these businesses and, and chasing their dreams. And that's fine. We don't want to discourage anyone for pursuing a career in real estate or, you know, selling food plot seed or even, even land consulting. But at the same time as consumers who are looking for those services, we just have to be prepared. So what does buy a farm bring to the table outside of experience of, I think you just said 16 years, what are some of the things that kind of set you guys apart? We uh, deal in an amazing number of counties, Terry. Uh, We don't just concentrate on one area. Uh, I'm actually licensed in Illinois, Indiana, and Missouri. And we we physically are visiting them counties and them townships on a regular basis. So we do keep a, rather than just read their sales reports, we do keep a honest-to-goodness idea of values uh and we we of course have access to five different programs that we subscribe to to be able to pull up not only the topo maps but the the inside of topo maps of soil types and so on and so forth and just like someone buying a hunting piece you know they the soil types are soil type it doesn't make any difference but actually it does if if one hill of it or one side of it is a lot better of a soil type, 
that's where they'd be better off putting their food plots. So we, we pass that information on to them that if you're going to put a food plot, it might be better in this southwest corner just because the, the soils are a lot better and, and year in and year out, your food plot would do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, along with that, uh, we have numerous agents. And if, you know, if, if I don't know of something in a particular area, I'm, I'm one of the owners and the managing broker of the entire biofarm. But if I don't know of something in a particular area, I have a lot of people that I can physically reach out to. We see on a regular basis, Terry, and it's just it's just the world we're in. New companies popping up, and uh, a, a company may pop up, and not just it just developed two months ago. And every one of the land agents are land specialists. I, I've uh, I'm a fourth generation farmer, and I've physically been with dirt all my life. And I've helped start buy a farm 16 years ago. I still don't really consider myself a land specialist, but uh, it's it's just like the consulting business on on you guys is in. I, I just hope that uh, clients and people have the wherewithal to understand that. You, know, you you and Don know what you're doing, and the thing that the thing that stands out is you can listen to you guys talk. I, I don't care who you are. You can listen to you guys talk and realize that you know what you're talking about. And that's to me that's 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 priceless, Terry. That, that truly is. Well, we appreciate that, and um, you know, you guys have been loyal to us since the very beginning and helped us get started in this thing. And can you believe that before the end of the year, we'll have over one million unique listeners that have listened to this podcast? Is that not crazy? That is simply <laughs> crazy. So <laughs> Who just, would have thought when just, you guys started? <laughs> just a few guys talking about hunting and venting about politics every once in a while has blown up into this and you guys have been a big part of it but i know this probably won't won't be part of what you'll talk about but one of the things don and i try to bring to the table is integrity and um you know we don't we don't just get bought and sold um you know we we promote and we work with and we're friends with and we try to help those who we believe in and uh, I can't say enough good about the folks at Biofarm and the people you all stand up with it it meant a lot a couple weeks ago for you to say how much you guys were involved with the local um, 4-H chapter down at the state fair and and giving back in your communities I can't say enough about that so not only thank you for the partnership but thank you for doing business the right way and treating people the right way. Let's have you on next week and tee up another property. I know, uh, how did those auctions go? We had a couple auctions that either they're getting ready to go off or they just got off. Um, everything yep, gone pretty uh, well went, with those? Everything's going really well. Yeah, got several more coming up. Uh, but yeah, everything's everything's going extremely well. All right, we'll auctions, tee, we'll so. tee a couple of those properties up next week. For those of you who are interested in learning more about Biofarm, the agents and the services that they provide, please visit biofarm.com or call 1-800-443-1998. That's 1-800-443-1998. Even if you don't see what you're looking for on there, give them a call and they'll be able to put you in touch or maybe have some ideas for something you're looking for. Don, thanks for your time, buddy. We appreciate you being on. Thank you for 
invite me this evening, Terry. Have a good have a good evening. Take care. All right, Don. Well, uh, we're gonna cut listener submitted questions a little bit short tonight. And uh, I think it's only appropriate since you used Ray's question that you have to use Aiden's question. We're going to end on this one tonight. And this is a really good one. Uh, these guys are from Ohio and, and can supplemental feed. And I think this is a great question. We haven't teed up too much on the podcast. So I'm interested to hear your opinion on Aiden's question. Yeah. And as Ray mentioned in the last question, Ray and Aiden, um, are both from the Middlefield, Ohio area where they own a business. And, and that's where the February 4th master class in Ohio is going to be held at their business. And I've consulted with these guys for probably, I don't know, five years now. And I've probably looked at uh, half a dozen properties for them. Um, I think they become believers when <laughs> the first time I was there and seen the difference it made on that first property. But uh, great anyway, guys, though fantastic guys and they've become uh, not just clients but really good friends and so we've had Ray's question now we'll we'll answer Aiden's Aiden says hi Don and Terry love the podcast if you had to choose between supplemental feeding or food plot program which one is going to enhance antler growth more if one has a very good food plot program are they wasting their money with supplemental feeding and do you think if you could have legally fed on your farm it could have enhanced Mel and Smokey and others. Thanks, Don and Terry. Well, Aiden, without a doubt, I, I think the food plot program is way more important than the, the supplemental feeding. And the reason for it is I think the deer, any deer is probably gonna get a bigger share of his nutrition from that food plot than he is from sticking his face in a feeder. And especially when we start talking about mature bucks, I mean, you put a feeder on your property and, you know, during certain times of the year, if, if a buck has grown up around them feeders, yeah, he may feed in them, but uh, th there's going to be times where weeks will go by before that buck is sticking his face in that feeder, even though he's feeding every day. Um, the supplemental feeder is basically just an opportunity to provide those nutrients that the deer may not be able to get from their natural diet or from the food plot. So if I could supplemental feed, I definitely would here in Illinois. I, I do on my Ohio property. Um, do I think it would have made a difference in Smokey and Mel? To be honest, if it would have, it would have been minimal. Um, probably, and I'm just throwing out a guess and it's it's nothing more than a guess, but I would say if I, if I was allowed to supplemental feed, it would have probably made no more at, at, at very max, maybe five inches of difference. And I don't even know if it would have done that. Um, what I would do in places where I can supplemental feed like Ohio, um, where my other properties at, you know, I think one of the things that, that land managers really miss, if you're a really serious land manager, that feeder is an opportunity for you to, to worm your deer, to use a, a, a cattle wormer in the, in your feed and, you know, clean them deer up from any parasites they might have. And especially in the winter months, you're, you're, you're setting that deer up for the upcoming antler growing season. So, um, overall gut health. Exactly. You know, you're putting up probiotics in through the feed too, to get that uh, correct bacteria in the deer's gut and help them to better digest, um, their food sources, whatever they may be. But, uh, 
there's some things that you can do with supplemental feeding that you cannot do with food plots. But if I had to choose between the two, hands down, without a doubt, I, I would go with a, a good food plot program. I think, um, I think this question would be really interesting to ask Dr. Strickland, specifically with, with uh, Mel and Smokey. And probably if I was guessing what Dr. Strickland would say is that the bigger difference you probably would have made, if any, would have been in their mother uh, when she was when she was having the supplemental feeding uh, with fetal programming versus after the buck was already born. Um, you know, he talks a lot about raising that that ceiling and you're only limited to how much you can raise the ceiling. Uh, after the fetal programming. So uh, it's a great question, um, but I think it's called supplemental feeding for a reason. It's supplement, just like supplemental vitamins. You don't, you don't just go and get a Centrum multivitamin and that's all you eat. Uh, that's, that's an additional supplement uh, across your diet. And um, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm in a state that allows me to do it all year long, but I agree with you 100%. Um, you, you can even see when the deer consume more versus when they consume less out of the feed all year long, you know, in Kentucky, I can leave it out all year except during Turkey season. Um, so, um, and obviously that's because there's a gap in something when they consume more versus when they consume less. So I think it's a great question that probably, uh, could even go a whole lot deeper with Dr. Strickland on. We might have to tee that one back up for, uh, another conversation when Dr. Strickland's on. Well, I, I can tell you that Dr. Strickland is not a huge fan of supplemental feeding. Um, he, he thinks you can provide everything and, and I'm sure he's right. He, he knows as much as, uh, about whitetails as anyone. He thinks you can through the natural uh, food sources as well as food plots, you can provide a deer everything they need. With diversity. Yeah, I mean right. that's the Diversity key is you got to you got to have the diversity. He talked a right. lot about in our master class talked a lot about, you know, watching deer eat these uh twigs or some, you know, some plant that was off on the edge of the field and then they did a tissue analysis on that and that was one thing at a micronutrient level that the deer weren't getting in the plant at that time of the year. So deer's going to balance out what he needs. The thing about it is though you don't want a deer leaving your farm to get what that thing is that he needs. And, uh, unfortunately we're raising a lot of hunters that only know how to hunt over a bait pile, not be a woodsman. And I think that's, that gets into another whole can of worms as it relates to supplemental feeding. And, and I think that's a different conversation as baiting versus supplemental feeding that we've talked about multiple times, but great question, both from Ray and Aiden. Uh, we look forward to being on their property in February and doing live podcasts. So they, Hey, I, I agreed to come up there and be there with these guys for, for these two master classes. They better have that place packed for this podcast when we do it live. Well, we've already got several reservations for every, each podcast. So, uh, or for each master class. So I know that place is, is probably going to be one of the bigger master classes we do. So it's, it's up to, it's up to Ray and, and, uh, Aiden to, to fill that place, but we look forward to spending more time with our friends. They've, uh, they always make me smile. I can't always respond because they come during the day and I'll be in a meeting or one day something came in about the King Buck and I was actually presenting 
a presentation at work and I just started laughing and lost my train of thought. It was, it was, uh, it was pretty funny, but, uh, we appreciate their friendship. They're great guys, big supporters of Lester's feet and, uh, uh, really covet their, uh, their friendship. So with that, we've ran a little long today and, uh, we'll, uh, circle back next week. Um, I'm going to be in downtown Chicago and who's going to be your special guest next week for this, uh, for this podcast. We're going to have Bobby Worthington on next week and uh, get his buck report. Um, see what he's got up his sleeve for this season. All right. Well, um, I, I do want to make one quick little thing. Um, I hope you, you've made people mad because you're charging more for their, uh, for your consulting. Um, I, I, I'm overwhelmed with the number of text message and instant messages from people saying, did you see anything hunting tonight? I think uh, I had over a hundred messages last night asking if I even went. So I apologize if I don't respond to those kind of messages. I assure you that when, uh, when I see something, I'll, I'll put it out there. And when something's down and has a hole in it, everybody will know soon enough. So I apologize. There's no way I can keep up with these messages, but I do, do truly appreciate the army of people that's got our back. It means a lot. Yeah, we, we got a lot of fans and, uh, we just, uh, appreciate, we couldn't do what we do if we didn't have you guys. So, uh, appreciate the support. Please keep it up. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for your support. God bless everyone. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, by a farm real estate company, 360 hunting blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.